0: Hey, business owners, this is Glory with Successful Marketing Group. I'm sure your business has been affected by COVID-19, and I know you have a lot on your mind right now. If some of your concerns are about your marketing or losing placement on Google, I want to help you for free. Email me at glory at SuccessfulMarketingGroup.com, and I will help you. No charge, no obligation. Send me your tough marketing questions to glory, G-L-O-R-Y at SuccessfulMarketingGroup.com, and let's keep you moving forward. a great guest this week thanks to cheryl reeve david berry from from let me get the, it all right southern utah university professor of economics department of economics and finance he's done great work on uh, on gender equity on gender issue in sports competitive balance in sports evaluations of players and coaches we're going to get all that two newsy things i want to start here with today first of all thank you to everyone who helped us raise more than twenty thousand dollars in the 2020 youth homeless winter wear drive last week. We had a blast Woo! on the show. Uh, of course, Cheryl's, Cheryl's the key to all this, so I want to thank Cheryl. Thank you, uh, Nafisa Collier and Rachel Banner for coming on. Thank you to Lori Ramsey for organizing and running that drive every year. Harder to do in a pandemic, and you all still did great work. Thank you for, for contributing, for coming on the show. Uh, we gave away some... I'm going to get this right. We gave a couple of, oh, away a couple of 2020 Lynx autograph balls to... Oh, where'd it go? I had it, I had it, I had it. Um, Sarah Jacobson and Katie Hill. Uh, So thank you very much for for your contributions. Again, thank you to Lori Ramsey of SuccessfulMarketingGroup.com. Now let's get on with this show. Uh, Tara Vanderveer ends up breaking the record. Uh, Just a couple days ago, most victories in Division I women's basketball with 1,099. Uh, I know Tara a little bit just through sports writers who – revere her in the bay area say she's a great piano player as well as a great basketball coach uh do you know do either of you know tara and if so tell us about her
1: uh well gosh we do this long enough then you know, we all you know run yep. into each other <laughs> time and again and uh during my time in the WNBA, i've, I've had a couple of stanford players so we, we've certainly uh, been around tara's program for uh, a long long time and uh, Candace Wiggins probably being the most prominent player uh, that that uh, that I've had the opportunity to be around that that uh, came from Tara's program, and uh, I have a really funny story about Tara If I if I could uh, take a moment to share, this is Please. an epitome of kind of I think who she is, is uh, which I appreciate. You know, I, I like a no nonsense, tell it like it is, uh, without a filter. And I remember uh, I was. Heading out to a Stanford game to to watch a prospect. We had Candice in our program. I had just finished my first season in 2010, going into the 2011 season in the off season, and I'm flying. To Stanford to go check out a prospect, but then I'm also wanting to spend some time with Tara to learn more about Candace Wiggins so that I could be the best possible coach I could be. Uh, so I am pretty geeked up, and I'm you know I'm like I can't wait to spend some time with Tara. I'm gonna now Tara doesn't know this. Uh, I'm just going there with that intention that I'm gonna strike up some conversation and and uh, see how much I can learn. And so I get out there, I wait for the game to end. Uh, long, long time after the game, Tara's walking. You know, the lights are out now. Tara's walking uh, across the court. I popped down, and she said, Jase, thanks for waiting. Uh, and I said, hey, I just wanted to take a moment, you know, if I could, to talk about Candace Wiggins. And, and she says, I really wish you a traitor. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, well, this is going to go very well. <laughs> Uh, and I can't remember exactly where the conversation went from there, but uh, I laughed I, pretty heartily. I laughed and, and uh, you know, she had an opinion on the situation. So I very much appreciated that. That was one of my first uh, co- encounters uh, up close that I had with Tara and uh, one that I'll never forget.
0: That's great. And and what a milestone, <laughs> um, you know, I mean, passing Pat summit uh, that, that that's hard to do.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a lot of, a lot of wins and, um, you know, those were some great times in women's basketball, the, you know, the two of them going head to head, there was a period of time, you know, they sort of took turns winning championships. And, uh, I remember for me, you know, as a, as a young, young person, uh, you know, getting into the, into the profession, uh, just, you know, like you said, revering, uh, you know, the, these two coaches and, and, uh, you know, just really, really cool, you know, to, to see Tara now at, at the top.
0: This is the Cheryl Reeve Show, part of the TalkNorth.com podcast network. You can follow us on Twitter at TalkNorthPod to see all the shows as they are released. If you'd like to advertise with this show or the network, you can reach Karen Cleary, K-C-L-E-A-R-Y at TalkNorth.com. Best way to listen, subscribe to your favorite podcast app. I want to thank our sponsors, Glory Ramsey of Successful Marketing Group and Kara Quinn, your VibeMN.com realtor. Thanks to our longtime producer Brandon Morton. So uh, David, let's bring David in. And, and Cheryl, you know David very well. I you know I only know David from reading and following him. Why don't you t- you guys tell me how you started uh, collaborating? How you ended up meeting each other, even if it was virtually. Dave, what do you remember about how we got
2: we got uh, connected? I thought it was uh, done through the magic of Twitter, right? That's exactly right.
0: Yeah. I
1: believe uh, somehow I saw something. Uh, I'm, you know, I, I enjoy uh, different takes analytically on on the game, and I uh, came across David Berry's wins produced, um, and I was very intrigued. and And I believe I saw it somewhere on Twitter. Somehow we got connected, and I reached out and called you and said, "You got to tell me more about this wins produced uh, because we were getting ready for a draft, and uh, we've we've been connected since, right, Dave?"
2: Yeah, yeah, we, we've yeah. So we've we've done a lot of. Uh... We have a lot of conversations not just about basketball but about gender issues and and so yeah, so I I, I started doing analytics in basketball, I would guess, oh, it was probably twenty, twenty-five years ago. Uh, I, I needed I needed something to do research in economics, I needed a measure of player performance that would allow me to objectively evaluate the contribution of an athlete. And Basketball statistics historically are not conducive to that. They don't really. In baseball, you see stats that are connected to outcomes. Um, so you can you can look up how many wins they have. They have win shares and wins above replacement. They define it in terms of wins. Basketball stats tend not to do that, um, and so. So I started doing research on that about 20, 25 years ago. And so wrote wrote a book about it, wrote a couple books about it. Um, but then I started getting into gender issues. And so Cheryl and I have talked about both of those things.
1: And Dave, I really enjoy um, early on you were writing for uh, Forbes. Um, and I, I thought at a really crucial time, and I told Dave this, that I, that I thought his, his writing and his uh, sort of chronicling the history of men's sports as compared to uh, the the startups of women's sports and and how women's sports are treated as compared to men's sports, I just thought that the the writing that you did for Forbes was was so critical uh, at a time, you know, that I think that you know, we had the attention of I think the the women uh, that were competing and they're reading it and they're saying yes, that's what we've been saying, and you were putting it in a way that was very um factual it was not an editorial it was factual uh you know based and rooted in in numbers and 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 i just thought it was um you know vital to, i think for the players to understand their economic power um and i don't know if your if your work uh, I, I know that um you know it started to spread you know amongst the players and and i think they started to understand a little bit more the the business of it so um I don't know if you want to. when did you start studying? I mean, that's kind of what you do, right? The you know, kind of the, the, the economics of sports leagues. And um, it's, it's something I really enjoy talking with you about and, and, and you simplify it. Uh, my, my favorite things are, are, have to do with sports and, and uh, subsidies uh, around sports. Uh, how did you get into that?
2: Yeah, I started, I started doing sports research in graduate school back in the 90s. And I started doing it. Uh, so I'm, pro- I'm professionally a, a professor of economics. I, don- I tend not to tell people that. I tend to emphasize that I talk about history and sports and gender issues. And if you force me, I'll say economics. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, but I started, I started doing research in sports because, you know, frankly, a lot of what economists seem to talk about is not tremendously interesting to me. Uh, and there weren't a lot of people looking at sports and it has this wealth of of data that you can analyze. so so that's where I started and 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 because few people were doing it, it's there and there's so many stories you can tell with sports data. Uh, I just started delving into all sorts of different issues and and the and the gender stuff I came to later. Uh, and that to me, is sort of where where sports is going. and I, I think, the study of sports and gender has sort of allowed me to see more clearly the history of men's sports and understand where that came from because i think we're born when we're born we we sort of take the world as given as it is presented to us that this is how it's always been and and so we you know if you if you were born in the last you know half century or so you sort of Accept the idea that there was an NBA and a major league baseball and an NFL. And you grew up that these were major things. And then when you delve into the history of it, you're like, okay, they weren't major things at all. They were, they were very minor things initially and nobody really paid any attention to these things. I, uh, I, you know, most people probably do not know that, you know, a simple story like in the very first NFL title game, uh, the quarterback for one of the teams couldn't play because he had another job and his boss told him he couldn't show up. He said, you can't, <laughs> you can't do that. That's where men's sports starts. It starts like that. And and so when we look at women's sports, which because of discrimination couldn't start um, until after Title IX was passed, basically, uh, it's, it's a much younger – they're all much younger leagues. WNBA is the oldest league. It's only about a quarter century old. Uh, and to understand what's going on in the WNBA, you have to go back and look at that. you got to go back and look at the history of the NBA and say, okay, well, if a league is 20, 25 years old, what do you expect it to look like? And you can't expect a 25-year-old league to look the same as a league that is 75 years old because fandom is generational. Uh, we inherit our, our, We inherit a lot of what we think about sports from our parents. Uh, it's very hard to become an enthusiast for a sports team later in life. Uh, you tend to develop that when you're younger. And, and so when you look at a sports league, we see this, we see this same pattern over and over again. It just takes decades and it's steady growth as the fandom spreads. Um, and eventually it becomes huge. And that's, I think that's one of the big lessons i think i would probably try to convey to people about women's sports you want to think about it what do you think this is going to look like in 50 60 years and i see no reason to think that women's sports in 50 60 70 years is going to look exactly like men's sports does today the women will be paid millions there'll be major celebrities and people are going to look back on now and go what was going on then? What were you guys doing? Why? And, and, and there'll be pieces written, you know, in 50, you know, in, in those years where they're going to say, you know, that player reminds me of Maya Moore. And then older people are going to go, no, Maya Moore was way better than that player. I mean, you're nuts. I mean, come on, Maya Moore. I mean, you think that's Maya Moore. That's not Maya Moore. And the same thing you see in the NBA, right? It's going to be the same kind of conversations. And so I, I, I think people need to think about it that way. Think about what where this is going. Um, and, and it's, it's, you can't look at it just in isolation that what you see right now is all it's ever going to be. That's not true.
0: I'm going to interrupt here real quickly to thank Cara Quinn, C-A-R-A-Q-U-I-N-N. Also thank again, Lori Ramsey from, from Successful Marketing Group. Also thank Janna Shortle for joining our show last week and being a great co-host, host, as she always is for these types of things. Kara uh, is reminding people right now that even though... We don't like the idea of moving in winter that sometimes people have to move in winter. Sometimes people do move in winter. Some things she wants you to know. And again, you can find everything about Cara you need to know at vibemn.com. It's Vibe Realty based in St. Paul. That is Cara's new new. Uh, shop uh, cars, reminding people while they're definitely busier home selling seasons throughout the year here in Minnesota. Life still happens in the winter, and that life often includes buying and selling real estate. So, what are some of the key things we see as an in, as industry professionals when it comes to moving the winter versus the other seasons? Uh, well, go find Cara's information at Vibe MN, and she will answer all those questions. You can schedule a consultation for her. You can find out something I just found out, which is that we're reaching you know, record highs for median home prices in Minnesota. So people are still buying and buying at good prices. She can tell you what the inventory is. She can tell you the best neighborhoods. Check out Cara at VibeMN.com. Again, it's Cara, Q-U-I-N-N at, at VibeMN.com. So uh, Cheryl, why don't you just continue the conversation?
1: Yeah, I I, uh, I was thinking about something that that David and I always – um you know kind of like we, we just we, we bang our head against the wall when i think about uh the ways that um either either men or or the, the leadership at, at the nba at times uh has has talked about the WNBA and every time um that the WNBA is mentioned they're they're sure to mention uh that perhaps the lead league might have lost 12 million dollars that year uh and i just love uh the way that that dave goes in on that you want to talk about that a little bit dave how Yeah, Yeah,
2: this is one of my favorite topics. And this is why I don't write at Forbes anymore, because the NBA didn't like the way I was saying this. Uh, (laughs) Men's leagues have a long history of telling us that they don't make any money. Um, This is typically what they say. Uh, Sports economists have learned to be tremendously skeptical of that story. Uh, I, I think that one of the issues is, and I've talked to accounting professors about this, it's it's it's. Understanding that if you don't want your organization to look like it's profitable, there are perfectly legal ways as as an accounting professional to make it look like you're less profitable than you are. Um, And sports leagues have an incentive to make it look like they're not very profitable because you're negotiating with players. And if you're extremely profitable, they're going to demand more money and you don't want them, you don't want to give more money to them. Uh, And so they they tend to say this and, and the NBA says the NBA is not profitable. That's not very believable, but they also insist. And they keep saying this over and over again, the WNBA is not profitable. And I've, I have a real big problem with that because as a growing league, Uh, The NBA is not going to lose any fans today if you say they're not profitable. That's not going to happen. But the WNBA, you're trying to grow your league. You're trying to get people to make an emotional investment in a product. And if you tell them it's not profitable, then they're going to be like, well, then why am I watching this and why am I getting involved in this? I really don't want to do that. It'd be like saying to somebody, I want you to watch this television show this week, but next week I might cancel it. Yeah, I don't want to watch it then because I don't want to get involved in this and find out you're not going to let me see the rest of the story. So forget it. Uh, And so it's really bad marketing to tell your customer base you're not making money. And it's it's also – and what's interesting about it is the early NBA, those people understood this. So if you go back to the 1950s and you look at the rhetoric of the NBA – there's a letter that the um, commissioner at the time sent out to the teams. And it's it's there was this great book called the, the Rise of the NBA, talking about the early history of the NBA. And it has this letter in there where the commissioner says to the, the teams in the early 1950s, and it says, a lot of you are releasing attendance data to the media as it actually is. I want you to stop doing that. I want you to pad the numbers. If you got 2,000 fans, say you got 4,000 fans. They're not going to be counting. You can do that. You can make up a number that's reasonable, okay? Don't tell people the truth that we're not drawing very well. That's not helping us. Uh, There's another uh, point where the same commissioner testified in front of Congress in the 1950s and, and said to Congress, no NBA owner cares about profits. The only time NBA owners are upset is if their team loses. They don't care whether the gate was good that night. Now, Contrast that revenue to what Adam Silver says about the WNBA. I mean, it's a—it's you don't you don't you don't talk down your own product, and the NBA has been doing this with the WNBA, and and it's the rhetoric has changed with the new commissioner. They they've they've shifted over from talking about the WNBA as a cost to trying to use the word investment. That's the way they should frame it. Uh, But for a very long time, this was this was really. This was really badly done by the NBA PR people. Uh, You simply cannot expect a league to expand if you're talking it down to your customers. Uh, The trolls online who say the WNBA is profitable, they heard it from the NBA. That's who told them that. And they never should have said that. Even if it were true, which I don't think it's true, but even if it were true, you never should have said it. That's not that there's no you have no gain saying that publicly. There's no upside to that.
1: Yeah, I think, and that's that's something we talk about. You just wouldn't do that in, in business, you know. Like like Apple, can you imagine Apple? Apple uh, talking about the iPad? Um, no, Apple uh, uses their ability to to sell the iPhone uh, leverage uh, as you know as as leverage for the other products. So it sort of may stand a reason whether it's the G League or the WNBA or esports, you know, that you leverage an iconic brand. So, but yeah, that's something that we we, we share that view on. And by the way, the investment mindset came from uh, the player side of thing. This last negotiation, uh, that was their narrative, um, and so I think that's what if you if you look at it, I'm telling you this that, that negotiation at CBA is 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 going to go down. Something we look back on. Uh, as being really defining for for the WNBA. Hey, what about uh, all these subsidies? Um, you know that, that men's sports have the benefit of. I uh, think women will ever get those.
2: Uh, that's another thing about men's sports. So men men like to think they deserve what they have. Uh, that they did it all on their own. Um, but uh, one, they got a giant head start, and that was because women were discriminated against. So you didn't do that on your own. Uh, they get ninety ninety five. They get ninety five percent of the sports media coverage. Uh, 90% of the sports media is men, even though 45% of all sports fans are women. Uh, and so they get a lion sh- a huge share of the coverage. They don't deserve that either. And male politicians love spending money on men's sports, and they have given billions of dollars in taxpayer subsidies to the NBA, the NHL, NHL, Major League Baseball, NFL, and even Major League Soccer. In Major League Soccer, that makes no sense because Major League Soccer is minor league soccer. Uh, The major soccer leagues are not in the United States. They're all in Europe and elsewhere. Uh, And there is no evidence that that's going to change anytime soon. Uh, But yet, Major League Soccer... Major League Soccer has gotten nearly a billion dollars in public subsidies. In addition, you know, they also... You know, people are men are spending, I think the last one's team sold for $275 million. So that's one franchise in major league soccer, $275 million. So imagine if the WNBA got an influx of $275 million and what you could do with that. And major league soccer gets this all the time. And you're like, why would you make that kind of an investment? Uh, You could invest in a WNBA team. It would be far cheaper. And there's actually a future for the WNBA. Um, but men don't do that. Uh, and so there's this real problem in terms of, of investing in women. Uh, and even when the investment happens, I've been very critical of some owners who seem to lack enthusiasm. Uh, you know, one of the things that you see in men's sports is the owner shows up. Even when the team is awful. Uh, you know, what, there was an iconic figure uh, on Thanksgiving Day of the owner of the Detroit Lions, uh, Sheila Ford, uh, in the booth, uh, up in the owner's box. And the Lions are losing. And she gave the the coach and general manager an ultimatum, you have to be competitive this year, or I'm going to fire you. And they're on Thanksgiving, it's their big national television. And they're getting slaughtered. And they have this picture of her up in the owner's box, their head in her hands. And you just know the thought in your mind is going, why is this so awful? That kind of emotional investment i want to see more of that in women's sports it should be that if you own these teams that you're at the game and you're involved in what's happening and you know be like Mark Cuban, make a jackass out of yourself. That's what you're supposed to do.
1: So. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're very fortunate here in Minnesota. We have an owner who sits just a few seats away, uh, um, Glenn and Becky, uh, who, we, who we count on seeing and, and our players count on. Uh, we're very, very fortunate that we, we do have an invested owner. And we need more of them, like you said, and I'm, I'm a big fan of the uh, of Paul Merritt uh, in um, uh, Portland uh, with, with his soccer team. and. Um, you know, I, I just love the idea that, you know, it, that's probably not where, where merit started. I think he, he kind of just saw this potential uh, for women. And, and he said, if I'm going to get into it, I'm going to do it exactly the same as I would do it for the men's sport. And I just think it was it's just so telling because it's been wildly successful. Uh, oh look! When you actually invest in it and treat it the same, you get really, really quality results. And I just don't know why that's lost on on so many people. And uh, but I'm I'm glad you're here with us, David, to tell to tell these stories.
2: Yeah, it, it's you know it, it's you, you look at, at you know, take the you know I, I think Ted Leonsis is one of the better owners, but he I is. don't I don't think he was at the Mystics when they won their title game. I don't think he was in the building. Um, that the whole way they handled that parade. Um, as far as I know, they never got their parade, did they? Um, and so, yeah, that's
1: There's there's some layered things there.
2: <laughs> yeah, so it's it's. But can you imagine? I mean, just think about that. Imagine it's a men's sports team and they won a championship, and they never got a parade. totally and and the, and there are some real reasons why they don't get a parade because of the way the WNBA is structured. You know, they historically were not paying enough money to keep the players in the United States, so. They all made contracts with with leagues outside the WNBA, so they all had to leave. And so, you know, this is all. These are all choices that you're making as you're building your league. You're making these sort of choices, and you have to ask yourself: if it's a men's league, are you making the same choices? And I think often the answer is, no. You probably would not have done it that way. Um, you probably would have made different arrangements and done things differently. Uh, and so that's kind one of one of the things I keep coming back in my own writing is, is pointing that out. You, you want to think about this uh, from an equity point of view and ask yourself, would you treat a men's league the same way? And I think the answer is often, no, you wouldn't.
0: This is a this is great stuff. I, I think we're gonna have to have David come back and uh, and hit us with more of this at some point. For today, let's think of one more good topic to get get, get down here. And uh, once again, I want to thank everybody who listens to Talk North. Everybody who listens to the Cheryl Reeve Show. Thank our producer Brandon Morton. Thank Gloria Ramsey and Cara Quinn. Cheryl, what else you want to hit today?
1: Well, I think we hit it uh, a little bit. Uh, just the role of sports media in this. Um, you know, I think you know, I think I think. You know, Dave probably covered that. But uh, do you have more you want to add there, Dave? Um, you know, obviously, Jim Suhan is, is part of the sports media. Well,
0: <laughs> That's what I always I'm enjoy. A, I, I, I need to take the, take the shots just like everybody else.
2: Well, think about – go back to what we started at the beginning. Um, uh, Tara Van uh, sets the record. So that got some media coverage. Um, I was struck by the fact that when she tied the record, it didn't. Um, there was virtually nothing written about that. And I was thinking – you know, if somebody ties Shishetsky's record, you know, you tie the record. That's going to be a story. Um, you break the record, it's another story. But they do this—they do the story twice. Tying the record means something. I mean, uh, imagine if she tied the record and then something happened and she couldn't coach again, and you never said anything. <laughs> you never yeah. covered. it. I mean, that—that that gets covered um, if it's a man. And and she tied the record, and that was not covered. There was no major story at ESPN on that. Uh, And and you can, I mean, if you want to understand the level at which women are ignored, and I do this exercise in class, all you got to do is call up ESPN.com's, just their main website, and just start scrolling down and counting. How many of these stories are women? How many of these stories are men? And you're going to see very clearly, it's about 5% women. You're going to scroll a long time on many days to even find a story about a woman. Um, And and that that kind of of coverage is it's not driven by some sort of marketing study that they did that said this is what people want. It's driven by men making decisions about what they want to see. And I I pointed this out at Forbes uh, when I was writing there. Uh, You will find more pages dedicated to animals on on major websites. Uh, then you'll find pages dedicated to women, and so you're going to find more stuff on horses, fishing, dogs uh, than you'll find on women's sports. That's a choice. That's a conscious choice. That's not. That's not a marketing study that produces that result.
1: Well, I appreciate the heck out of you, Dave. I told you we would need a, a couple parts uh, <laughs> to be able to to talk about so many things that that I know that you're passionate about that that we're passionate about on this show. So we'll we'll definitely uh, have at least a part two.
0: Oh yeah, uh, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to. You know, we do the show very casually, so I'll just throw it out there. If you want to, we could do something again early next week and just keep this conversation going. I don't know if, what your availability is.
2: Uh, I'm available, so I'm available whenever you guys want me on. So you are right, the best.
0: Let's do that. Let's uh, let's continue this conversation next week. This is a great time to do it while the WNBA is still, you know, somewhat in its off season and we're waiting for. For schedules to come out and everything else, I, w- I would love to keep this going. There are questions I'd like to ask you too, but I wanted to give Cheryl the floor for obvious reasons. So uh, why don't we why don't we make that a wrap for today? We'll get back with David and Cheryl next week. Uh, we appreciate everybody listens to the show, everybody listens to the network. Appreciate Dave very much coming on and spending so much time with us. Cheryl, thank you for lining him up. And uh, so let's let's leave the conversation there. And we'll rejoin it next week.